0: i'm ben easter and you're listening to the shift to freedom podcast the podcast that gives you the mindsets strategies tips and tricks to live your freedom and love your life If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, If you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast, I'm your host Ben Easter, I'm here with my lovely wife Paige Easter and today we're gonna actually, uh, first I just want to give a quick nod to sleep and the power of sleep and how important sleep is because God, I feel amazing today and I have been sleeping really well lately and I just, uh, it makes such a huge difference I'm like seeing that there's like l- fewer dark bags under my eyes, it's like, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really, it turns out it's really important to, to rest so this is just your, your reminder everyone to rest. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about optimism, Paige.
1: I'm really excited about this topic. Um, I recently picked up the book Learned Optimism by Martin Seligman. And I, you know, it's really interesting because I have thought about the topic of optimism in a lot of different ways. And this book has really just opened my mind in a different way of thinking about optimism. He relates everything back to thoughts again and just like doing. Doing examination on the thoughts that we're thinking and how that relates to our experience of our reality. And it's, I'm so excited for this topic.
0: Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, um, Martin Seligman is called, sometimes called the father of positive psychology. So basically he noticed this thing back in the, what was it, 80s? <clears throat> That previously all psychology and, and even commonly today, a lot of psychology is practiced with a diagnosis model. So there's like something wrong with you and we're trying to fix something that's wrong with you. And Martin Seligman was the first person to come, come along famously, uh, the Buddha did it, <laughs> but Martin Seligman was the first person to come along famously and uh, and sort of say, what if there's nothing wrong with us? And what if there, there's an approach to psychology, which is about um, kind of optimizing and, and having us be having everything be like better rather than thinking of like trying to fix something that's broken. We're trying to enhance something that's already working. Um, And this was like a revolutionary idea in uh, psychology. And, um, and I think it's, it's awesome that we're, you know, I think today there's, it's a lot more common. In fact, we'll, we'll give the quick caveat uh, and, and disclaimer about toxic positivity, which is now a thing that was not a thing uh, before Dr. Seligman Mm -hmm. existed. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so quick nod to him and this book learned optimism that we're reading for our book club is a great read. Highly recommend Paige. You, uh, you, it was funny you coming to me right afterwards and saying how surprised you were because you took the test.
1: Yeah. So the book includes an assessment around optimism and I, you know, had had somebody asked, like, am I, like, yes or no, an optimistic person, like, as though it were a light switch is kind of how I was thinking about it. Like, yeah, of course, I think about the world optimistically. I tend to gravitate towards more optimistic conversations and topics and encourage optimism in other people. Um, and my results on this assessment were that I am moderately optimistic and even one of the domains was, like, moderately pessimistic. and I was really shocked. Um, and I think part of it is that, you know, if we take an overview of, like, what does optimism mean, like, a tendency towards positive thinking, um, but then there's, like, a zoom in and look at different domains of that, and so in his book, there's... Like how personal do you take things? How, per- like what's your self-esteem when something happens in your reality? What kind of interpretation do you give your role in that?
0: Let's double click on that, on that thing you just said for just a second. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. how personally do you take things? So meaning like when a good thing or a bad thing happens to us in our lives, quote unquote, mm-hmm. obviously I'm going to put air quotes around those words. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you take your role to be in it? So like, for example, mm-hmm. uh, a pessimistic person might say, uh, this thing happened because I am flawed and an optimistic person again in a black and white way of looking at it an optimistic person might say this this bad thing happened to me because of the world and the way that things out there were in this situation or something like that Mm
1: -hmm. right yeah and I think that there's kind of I mean, we can dig a little deeper and look at it. Did this thing happen because of my role in it and was it good or not? So if it was a good thing that happened, can I, do I have the ability to take responsibility? Like, oh, that I was able to create that because I'm the kind of person who's studied or learned or um, dedicated or whatever. Um, or if something good happens, do I believe that to be an outlier? Because I don't identify as a person who's dedicated and studious, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And I, I, think we see this in, uh, there's like, uh, pe- you know, column diagnoses or whatever, but people call um, themselves identify different patterns of thought. One is like imposter syndrome that I think is related to this, which is like, Oh, good things are happening to me, but they're just like happening because I got lucky and I don't actually deserve the thing, the good things that are happening to me. And then the other is like Dunning Kruger, which is like on the other side of the extreme, which is like, um, I, I think I know a lot more than I do and, uh, you know, and and I'm like really confident that I know everything about everything all the time. And I think that those are like the two extreme versions of, um, Mm -hmm. that like it's happening to me or it's happening because of me kind of a a dichotomy. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to tap on like what you just said about, kind of Dunning-Kruger effect is a lot of us have a fear in ourselves of not being, um, you know, just like a fear of being the kind of person who thinks too highly of themselves, for example, because we see that out in the world and we find it distasteful. And so then there's kind of a tendency to overcorrect and not say positive things about myself or not view myself in a positive light in order to protect myself from looking like an imposter, uh, which Mm, I think is just really interesting.
0: Which and there's like other things about this other than just optimism. It's you know our our frame of self-reference and self-esteem and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's set, let's set up a little bit of context for this because I, I want optimism before we get too far down the road of optimism. I do want to like give a quick nod to uh, the human experience and um, and that what we're talking about today is uh, shining a flashlight on the choice that we do have around things. Um, if you are experiencing things that are not. "Quote end quote, positive. And what I mean by that is you have determined that they are not positive and you're listening to this. Nothing is wrong or broken. You are not a bad person. You are not a failure. None of that. Um, and, and there are a couple of things that I just want to like hold space for. One is the fullness and richness of human experience. So even if we could think our way out of any negative experiences in the world at all, we might not want to do that. That might not be a desirable state for us because there is a richness of human experience. Think about like loss. You know, when I lost my grandfather, it was really, um, it was full of tears and, you know, all of that stuff, but I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. It's, you know, it was like, a, it was like just part of the richness of human experience. Now I could have thought my way out of it. I could have thought other thoughts and got myself out of those feelings. But what I have really wanted to, mm, not really. Um, So I want to like hold space that what we're first and foremost talking about is um, what you want to be experiencing. Uh, You're the desirability of the state and that there's nothing wrong with wanting to experience anger or sadness or frustration or whatever the other quote, end quote, negative human experiences are. So that's one thing. Um, And then, and then that within that, there's this idea of toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing Mm -hmm. where um, we're sort of ignoring reality um for the sake of keeping things positive and we're we're denying facts in the world uh to keep things positive and that's not what dr seligman is uh advocating for either i don't think
1: i think i would just to reiterate the experience of you know like we have these kind of and I think everybody has their own distinction of what is a positive emotion and what is a negative emotion. And some of them are more uncomfortable, but I def- I want to just reiterate the value of having those quote unquote negative emotions that I think that those are the emotions that move us. We experience anger and it's a little uncomfortable, but then in order to solve for that anger, we might, you know, advocate for change in the world. Um, And when we experience grief, you know, like you mentioned your grandfather passing away, then you get to experience grief in community and be keeping the memory of somebody alive. And that's a very bonding experience. And so I think that be on the lookout for your own emotional experience and notice if you're labeling it as like bad or good and maybe think about it as useful or not useful instead. Like those terms, thinking about it in those terms might be a little more helpful. And just for accepting that those negative emotions are valuable, that we want to have those.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes we want to have them when we want to have them. And also I think that what you're saying and just to double click on it and give maybe a little bit of a frame of reference for this, um, these like, again, quote unquote, negative emotions. Um, actually I think Tony Robbins had a framework for this, which I really liked a lot. And I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, but the idea was, um, that anger is a desire for more control in the world like you want you want like when we're angry and we're shouting we like we want uh you know like when we're shouting we're trying to make somebody else understand us more right Mm -hmm. um and so anger is like a a desire for more control in the world and then um and and both of these actually are kind of a way of controlling but and then depression or sadness is is a longing for connection it's like asking for connection so um, so when we want we want to have more power in the world, we'll get angry, and then, when we want to have more connection in the world, we'll get sad and that is like these are um the reason I'm drawing this distinction is because I think it's a useful uh it's nice to realize that these have kind of positive intents behind them, and to think of them in terms of these positive intents can sometimes remove some of those labels of judgment or whatever. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be any more socially acceptable to be angry with people or that it's going to be any more fun to be sad. But uh, I think to give the quote unquote devil his due or to like, you know, give to give yourself some credit for that. These things are happening out of some desire, some human desire that we have um, that we might want to meet in the world rather than just labeling them as bad or
1: whatever. And I think that's a big part of what this whole conversation is about for me is examining the intent behind what it is we're trying to achieve and thinking through, will this line of thinking actually, or this line of action actually get me that result and just like slow down and digest your thinking and um, start thinking about new ways that might help you get the results that you actually want in the world.
0: Yeah. And so that's what we're talking about in in today's talk. We're really talking about our thoughts and the choice that we have in our thoughts and the use of those thoughts in getting us what we want to experience. Because if we want to experience anger or you want to experience sadness, that's great. But if you want to experience happiness or you want to experience optimism, that's also great. And and we can use our thoughts in either of those cases to do. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy necessarily because we'll have our default thoughts. And we're going to have the ways that we've practiced thinking and you know, we're all in our own kind of pattern of clusters of behaviors and there's nothing wrong with any of that. So like I, my invitation is to approach all this with love for ourselves, no matter where you're at and you know, what part of the journey you're in and also really hold space. If you want to experience sadness, if you want to experience anger, if you want to experience any of those quote unquote negative emotions, by all means, like be honest with yourself and allow yourself to experience that because isn't that part of being human in the world yeah totally. Yeah. all right so yeah. with all that caveat aside now how do we actually do the thing Paige? what do we how do we um how would dr seligman invite us to practice optimism to learn optimism
1: the first step is he gives a framework for examining our thoughts and it's an abc the adversity is the first step so noticing when the negative experience comes up when you have feelings that don't feel very good and what's going on that created that feeling for you and then the second step is the beliefs so the reflexive thoughts that you think in these situations and just list them down and i really want to encourage everybody listening right now cuz i've been doing this work over the past few days actually like sitting down and writing down my abc and I think that there's like a resistance I have within myself when I'm writing down my beliefs, my thoughts, where I'm like, well, that's not actually true. And I kind of have a temptation to, to yeah. And when I allow myself to just like, okay, what's the thought? It comes up. I write it down and then just see like how many negative ones are in there. And just be really surprised by that. And I think that this is the work because we have these reflexive thoughts. We don't always think them consciously. And so then we get stuck in this pattern where we have this adverse experience and then this emotional experience that comes afterwards and we don't have control. And that's the story that we tell. And this is how to regain control is to slow down and actually like write the thoughts down and see, see what your brain is offering you consciously so that you can start creating different habits. Yeah. And I think that's,
0: that's the part of the antidote to the toxic positivity conversation to just like bring that back up and remind it is because the the idea with this toxic positivity thing is that we're like kind of ignoring all of our, any negative emotions. And we're just like, Oh, everything's sunshine and daisies. And that there's something uh, inherently Mm -hmm. flawed with that. And I I like to think of this as almost like a closet. You've got this closet that's full of clutter or something like that. And you know, Mm -hmm. it does, it's not repairing anything to just not look in that closet. Yeah. and actually the closet's not so bad as all that when we but it has a lot of power over mm-hmm. us when we're not handling it when we've got these like totally. kind of unresolved tolerations yeah. and so by like by doing what this exercise that you're advocating for pagey which is like mm-hmm. getting your thoughts out of your head and onto paper so yeah, that you can see totally. them and externalize them a little bit uh, yeah. it's really useful because then we're not just shoving them away and thinking oh everything's positive everything's nice yeah. when there's a lot of shit for us to process and handle
1: I have a slightly different metaphor that I like to enter into in this context is taking a look under the bed. So, like, if a kid comes and says, I'm afraid, there's a monster under my bed... And we just tell that kid no there's no monster under there you're denying their reality and they don't get the experience of you know really thinking through is it true is it useful what's what is an alternate explanation so i like to think of you know our internal self as a kid that has like there's an un uh like an illogical concern or fear in the world and what if we just like get down on the floor and look under the bed and see like really like look at what's in there instead of Uh, just kind of brushing it under the rug so to say and I think that that is like what toxic positivity is is like denying the reality that there's this thing going on and just trying to push it under the rug but then you have a little kid that's like okay cool we can say that there's no monster under the bed but I'm still having this emotional experience
0: I'm still scared
1: yeah I'm still scared exactly yeah Okay, so, yeah. so the adverse is adverse experience is the A. The B is the beliefs, and the C is the consequences. When I'm thinking these kinds of thoughts, what, what, how do I show up? What, like, what are the results, the actions that I take, the results of those actions, the emotional experiences that I have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: And you can see echoes of this in a lot of other ways of uh, looking at unpacking mindset stuff. So, for example, uh, Byron Katie's "The Work" is part of this. That's where you're investigating your, you know, your beliefs are they true, and then what happens if you're believing them. The model, um, you know, Brooke Castillo popularized this model: the CTFAR—circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results—which is another way of of looking at some of this work. Um, but that came from, as I understand it, REBT. Um, and so, what we're really doing is we're we're exploring the the actual state of our being. We're investigating our thinking about that state of being, <clears throat> and then we're uh, and then we're understanding when we are believing about the world that way. What are the what's happening in the world? What's what consequences? Well, who do we become? What happens out there? And so, that's some of the work that we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add to that?
1: One, one of the, maybe we could call it an overgeneralization, but one of the ways I've been thinking about the consequences is that the negative streams of thought tend to be a closing up, a disconnecting, a pulling away, and the positive ones are kind of an opening up, a willingness to engage, a problem solve. They're kind of two different states that I notice, um, just kind of as an overgeneralization that I've been playing with in my head.
0: Mm-hmm. That would be – I mean, that would be like – I mean, for example, that would be like um, depression is closing ourselves into our bed, for example, and mm-hmm. kind of re- retreating from the world. And anger is sort of closing our mind to other people and mm-hmm. trying to charge forward despite – okay.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, cool. I also think it's worth noting – and we kind of started talking about this at the beginning of the conversation about those beliefs – the – Martin Seligman has three kind of domains to think about the beliefs, um, how personally we take it, how um, pervasive it is. So if, uh, if it happens in this context, how many other contexts, like if I'm bad here, am I bad in all of these other ways too? Um, and then how permanent, if it's like this now, I must be like this forever.
0: And, and this, again, this is about our beliefs about the situation. So do I believe that this is me, that I am the fault at fault here? Do I believe that exactly. this always happens in every situation? And do I believe that, or like in every situation, and do I believe that this will always happen like forever, that I'm doomed to this being a thing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And then there's, in his framework, there's a, an A, B, C, D, E. And so the D is the dispute. It means going back into those thoughts and looking at them, seeing if they make sense logically, if there's any evidence to support them, um, and even looking at, like, all their, are there alternative explanations? And then how useful are those thoughts? When you think those thoughts, what shows up in the consequence line? Your feelings, the shutting down, the giving up, et cetera, et cetera. And so then thinking, what are some alternate thoughts that I could think that would be more useful, that would be more energizing? And then that's the E, is assessing your energy around different thoughts. What's energizing? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And you can see, again, you can see that harkens back to Byron Katie's The Work again, because, but she just reverses the order. She asks first, is it true? Can you be absolutely sure that that it's true? This thought, can you be absolutely sure? Like, I'm a bad person. Is it true? Yeah, I'm a bad person. Can you be absolutely sure that you're a bad person in every situation? Can you think of any situations where you might not be a bad person? Might there be any door open for not being a bad person, that sort of thing? And then, what happens when you're thinking the thought? What happens when you're believing that it's true that I'm a bad person? Well, I'm showing up as a bad person. I'm beating myself up about things. I'm like, I'm you know, kind of getting out of touch with humanity and and all that sort of thing. So, um, what are the consequences of that? And so he's got a different, I like this A, B, C, D, E model because yeah. it's e- kind of maybe easier to remember than the work. Maybe. Four questions and turn around. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so we're in, and I guess I want to hold a little bit of space here because I, I don't think that the A and the Bs are always the easiest thing for us to do when we're in a, and look, listen to me use a judgment word, easy. But when we're in the grips of a default pattern, a thought pattern, a meaning we've practiced thinking certain ways. I don't think it's always um, so obvious for us to notice that now is a time to practice this kind of a thing. And this is where I want to hold space for um, meditation or mindfulness or some kind of practice of becoming aware of your thoughts. And I think Paige, you're like where you're talking about writing them down, even that kind of a practice done on a recurring basis can help us to um, to external, to, to again, be in the practice of questioning our thoughts. Cause otherwise the thing is, we'll just be in, caught up in our thoughts and we won't notice that we're having thoughts about the world or that we're feeling pessimistic or that we're feeling defeated. Um, cause it'll just kind of feel like we're describing reality the way that it is. And we're just going about our lives. And most of us are busy doing lots of other things with our time. Right. So, um, it won't always be, uh, obvious, and that's the thing is, like, we, we really want to, if we want to change around this, we want to somehow make it obvious to us that there is an opportunity for change. So, yeah. mindfulness, recognizing your thinking, doing thought downloads like this, or um, mm-hmm. thought dumps, or processing thought thoughts, diary. journaling. Like,
1: what's it? A, a thought? Thought log. Like, dialectical yeah. behavior therapy has like a specific protocol that includes cognitive distortions, which I actually think that uh, this looking at beliefs in these three three domains of how personal pervasive and permanent do I think am I assessing the kind of reality of this adversity that I'm facing um is a little simpler and more useful than like a dbt thought log
0: Mm. and 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 for me I think it's I am doing that the the pervasiveness thing is one of my biggest clues and i i don't i I don't know this is right or wrong for anybody else but for me it's like when i start to notice that i'm like sort of i've got the crayon out of the box like the depressed crayon out of the box and i'm coloring everything outside of the lines Mm -hmm. lines with that that i start to get start to um really notice that's like, that raises a flag, I call it a flag in the field that like raises mm-hmm. a flag for me to be like, Oh, this is definitely an opportunity for me to investigate my thinking and find out what is going on.
1: I have a same similar flag on the field for me as language, like always and never. That's always like my mm-hmm. biggest one of like, Oh, I'm making broad over generalizations. And these are cognitive distortions. And it's time to take a look at, is it true? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then there's practical things and there's thought things. So there's like the, the facts that are happening in the world. I think that's a, that's a really useful question. Like, is it true? And Mm -hmm. like, really like getting curious about, can you absolutely actually know that this thing is true? Could
1: could it be proven in a court of law? Like, could we all agree or would there be some subjective dissent?
0: Yeah. And that's one way of looking at it is like, could it be proven in a court of law? I, I really like that. Um, I like to question the this thing a lot just because it, it gives us more space. It gives us more possibility is to actually question, you know, like going to the matrix I think is like a great example of this. Like, can you know that anything that's happening in this world is true? I mean, that may be like a really strong example. That's what Descartes did in his, uh, in his meditations. And he's like, mm, actually, I can't do a lot of philosophy after I do that. So, uh, but I do think it is useful to give us a little bit of distance to say like, well, actually, could I imagine a world where I'm, I'm deceived in some way. And, you know, through no, no fault of my own, I'm believing that this thing is true, but it's actually not. Could I imagine a world where it's not true? Because if we're, because those are the two, I think the two essential questions, is it true and is it useful? Is this thing true? And is it useful? If it's true and it's useful, great. Keep it. If it's true and it's not useful, maybe we can look at a different truth. Okay, and very. By the way, very few things are going to be true and not useful. I think that's just like my personal opinion. <laughs> Prove me wrong out there if you want. Uh, but if it's not true, is it not true? But useful? Hey, great, keep it. I mean, uh, like, I, I don't know. I'm a big fan of uh, the sort of the positive uh, illusions, like deceiving ourselves in a in a resourceful way. I think is actually kind of useful. Uh, We we do it all the time in unresourceful ways. So why not have some out there that are deceiving ourselves in in resourceful ways? Uh, And then if it's not true and it's not useful, that's the big one to look out for. Like, why are we holding on to something? If it's not true and it's not Mm -hmm. useful, why keep that around? So I think those are the two, uh, the guiding questions for not just Martin Seligman's work, but really anytime you want to do this kind of thought work. Is is it true and is it useful?
1: Yeah, I agree. Totally.
0: So I think we've done some practical stuff around this. Anything else to add? Anything you think that uh, Dr. Seligman would add to this conversation in this context?
1: Um, I think we kind of already touched on it, but it's worth mentioning again. A healthy assessment of optimism and using it in a way that isn't toxic. So kind of reading the room and knowing, like, is it is it time now to just be with emotions and be in them and experience them and create space for them to be okay and when is it time to okay that's enough we're ready to move on and if so how do we do that in a way that's not toxic because we don't want to deny the reality that there's a monster under the bed if we're really believing that we want to be patient and loving and kind and nurturing around it
0: yeah and i think that's it's really useful to just notice that what happens when we do that toxic positivity is we can cut ourselves off from connection with others. Mm -hmm. If, if other people are having a genuine human experience, whether or not there's a monster under the bed. Okay. We can, we can notice that the person is having the experience of there being a monster under the bed. Right. And so for us to dismiss their experience as inconsequential or non real without their buy-in into that, now we've just created a barrier between us and them and and again, sometimes that's useful and that's what we want to do. And sometimes what we want is to prioritize the connection between ourselves and that person. And if then, if we want that, uh, the connection experience with them, then denying their experiences is going to be a really, we're going to have a rough a rough time of it if we want connection afterwards. Because we're going to lose that connection. We're going to be dismissing their experience. Yeah. Right? This is where like the, the like validation comes in, uh, validating somebody else's experience, which I, for a long time, I had a really hard time with that. And I also had a really hard time with connection sometimes because someone will be having experience. You've probably experienced this with me, actually, where you're having experience and I'm like, yeah, but is that, is that what you want to be experiencing? But that is like a very harsh question to ask before first saying, well, uh, let's see about the monster under the bed. You know, I mean, I think that's my intention behind it is to like investigate totally. whether or not there's a monster under the bed.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. But there but wants sometimes... to be like an, an, an entering into a mutual reality. Like, oh, if there were a monster in the bed, I could totally see how that would be really scary. Yeah, that
0: That'd would be, be really world. scary, yeah, tell That me. would
1: be really scary. Okay, so maybe there's a monster under the bed, but like what if there wasn't? And now we're entering into like a creative alternate reality that's actually kind of playful and resourceful
0: totally yeah and and you know everybody's not this isn't we're not thinking about this in ways that i think are common commonly accessed uh, or normalized and so like if you're listening to this podcast chances are you're doing a lot more personal development work than maybe some other people in the world so also holding space for them not having a framework for coming into this and, and wanting to kind of build a bridge to slowly get there if you want to invite people other people into this kind of work so yeah. um <laughs> A great conversation page. Thanks so much for uh, connecting with me about Dr. Thanks, Dr. Seligman, wherever you are. Uh, we really appreciate you, uh, being the, uh, the patriarch of optimism. I don't I don't really like the that father language. Of <laughs> psychology. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, trying, I was trying to do some wordplay there, but, uh, anyway. Um, so thanks all for listening. Love your freedom and love your life. Hey there, shifters. If you enjoy the podcast and you've been wanting to take your game to the next level, you might want to hear about our new program. We're calling it The Mindset Gym, and it's a virtual community where we take all the tips, tricks, and strategies, and we put them into practice. Ever notice how when you go to an exercise class, you always seem to push a little harder than when you work out on your own? Well, The Mindset Gym is like a group exercise class for your business. Imagine a community of badass business owners coming together a couple of times a month to work on their mindsets, strategies, and find some business besties. It's all about practicing together. Sound like something you might want to be a part of? Check out the link in the show notes or go to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash the dash mindset dash gym to learn more. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week, and in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.